Take a deep breath and let it out. You might not know it, but indoor air quality is a topic that affects all of us. At Renew Air, we're on a mission to educate listeners on indoor air quality and the factors that impact it. Welcome to Indoor Air Quality IQ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to IAQ IQ, Indoor Air Quality and You. I am your host, Tyler Kern, and on today's episode, we're discussing the IAQ revolution, dilution and filtration. And I want to welcome our two subject matter experts to the show today. First, we have Nick Agopian, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Renew Air. Nick, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Good to be here. Excellent. Well, great to talk to you today uh, once again. And we also have Armin Rudd. He is the principal at AB Systems LLC. Armin, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited to have both of you on here as we talk about dilution and filtration today. Uh, But first, Nick, one of the things that we have uh, talked about in the past, but we want to cover just to uh, give everyone a baseline understanding here for this episode is why do we ventilate and why is ventilation an important thing? Ventilation is critical because I think the thing within North America is ceiling integrity, ceiling integrity within the structure. Uh, We're trying to build tighter. And as we build tighter, we lower the potential of exchange of air or energy between the conditioned environment uh, and the outdoor unconditioned environment. Uh, So as these uh, construction methodologies become tighter and tighter and tighter, ventilation is a component of the mechanical systems that uh, include heating, air conditioning, humidification, and of course, filtration. Uh, Ventilation and filtration, they try to complement each other in achieving one point. And that one point you're trying to achieve or outcome is good indoor air quality or achieving better indoor air quality by increasing potentially your ventilation rates and more importantly, increasing uh, filtration MERV levels. Um, I like to start with uh, what I call source control, source control by local exhaust. So we try to remove the contaminants where they're generated in a bathroom, in a kitchen, in a laundry room, etc. And then once tried to do that as best we can, we have what we call whole dwelling ventilation, or um, and that's by dilution. Since the uh, contaminants are now diffuse, we need to find a way to dilute them wherever they may be throughout the house. So uh, that's where the whole dwelling ventilation system comes into play, and I know that's the focus of our talk today. The local exhaust is um, assumed that we're trying to remove those contaminants at the source, but then we do the whole dwelling ventilation system in addition. So Nick, we wanted to talk mitigation strategies. Uh, So first, tell us a little bit about what mitigation is and what that means, and then give us some different mitigation strategies that exist. There's something that's important and uh, a lot of people really don't focus on is source control. If you have a cooking source, and and whether that's an oven or a stovetop or anything else, you should be ventilating and removing all source contaminants before they uh, diffuse within the, uh, the structure. When we look at different ventilation strategies, you have exhaust, which is paramount in order to control that source. And that could also be besides the kitchen, it could be your, uh, your bathroom, or some people have different activities within their homes and they may need to exhaust within uh, those areas. But uh, coupled up with 
source exhaust is supply. These homes are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And if you only exhaust, it makes it difficult for outdoor air to come in. Um, besides just exhaust only strategies, we have balanced ventilation strategies. Uh, balanced ventilation strategies are used in order to provide not only the exhaust, but also a uh, equal amount of supply within the space. Um, there are unbalanced systems that are available that can offer either a uh, pressurization strategy uh, or they can offer a, um, a negative pressure strategy. Uh, today, negative pressure strategies are important because of uh, this COVID world where if you have a case within a home, you probably want to consider exhausting from that space so you don't contaminate the, uh, the rest of the house. Typically, we have an exhaust strategy, which you mentioned would create a negative pressure relationship inside the home with respect to outside. We can have supply ventilation strategies, which would tend to create a positive pressure relationship inside the home with respect to outside. We can have balanced ventilation, which is a combination of the exhaust and supply. And we can also have hybrid systems. Um, hybrid systems would be perhaps uh, a supply ventilation system that would be active whenever the heating and cooling uh, was being called for by the thermostat, but then maybe use an exhaust strategy to fill in all the gaps when there were no calls for heating and cooling. It's essentially supplementing that supply ventilation. And those are kind of the main basic strategies. Uh, in the humid south, some people want to use a dehumidifier as the supply fan um, and also turn on the compressor when the incoming uh, humidity, the incoming dew point of the outdoor air is higher than, say, 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which might be a, a common desirable dew point inside the building. So there's a lot of different equipment that can be used to accomplish the whole house ventilation strategy. One thing that's really paramount, though, is, is the whole concept of filtration. And this is something that's been um, recognized really a lot more in the last five years, I'd say. Uh, I serve on the ASHRAE, um, which is the Association of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers, uh, Standard 62.2. And uh, in the past, a lot of emphasis was on the chemicals that might be in inside air, and that would be just an air change uh, solution, you know, air change with outdoor air diluting the uh, contaminants inside. But of, of late, we are realizing that probably by a many times factor, small particles are the highest level of risk to indoor health, to, to, the, to the health of, of people living in the indoor environment. So filtration of, of recirculation air has really been elevated in terms of its importance. And uh, you mentioned the, the, the coronavirus issue. And obviously, yes, that isolation strategy is super important if you if it's possible to put the infected person in a in a room that may have a connected bathroom and turn on that exhaust fan constantly to try to create that negative pressure relationship um, if it's possible to even heat uh, that space independently of the central system that would be good as well so that we're not mixing that air increasing air exchange is is a good thing but even more important than that probably is to filter that air so that in that isolation zone so that the virus is actually captured and kept out of that air zone. And that would be by an independent 
high efficiency particle arrestance. It's called HEPA filtration unit or air cleaner in that space. So when it comes to mechanical ventilation and or filtration, is that a sustainable solution for the future? Is that something that, that should be relied upon as a sustainable solution uh, going forward? Absolutely, it's sustainable. Um, in fact, it's not only sustainable, it's going to be essential um, as we move forward with um, residential building construction. You know, right now, um, not all codes require mechanical ventilation in residential buildings, but it's only a matter of time before it will be. It's just kind of a gradual progression. They do have prescriptive rules in the codes for when you do install mechanical ventilation, how that needs to be accomplished. Right now, that's mainly based on the condition floor area of the house and the number of people that are expected in the house. And, and that's based on number of bedrooms. And so they assume two people for the first bedroom and one for um, bedrooms after that. So in order to be able to control energy consumption for space conditioning properly, we have to control the building enclosure so that we limit that outdoor exchange um, in uncontrolled ways, but then put back in a metered amount of ventilation air um, to make it a healthy environment for people. There's a lot of talk and there's a lot of research that's ongoing right now in the standards community uh, for balanced ventilation. When we take a look at exhaust only, uh, we have um, some of the, or I should say, some of the research shows that we're not necessarily removing all of the contaminants from the entire house. Um, Armin said a few words earlier on, uh, and the words were whole house ventilation. Um, what that means is how do we get a specific amount of outdoor air into an area that, that may have a contaminant? And, and that contaminant could be anything. It could be a gaseous contaminant, a particulate contaminant, or even a virus. Um, how do we get the outdoor air into that space that's clean? And then how do we get that contaminated cubic foot of air out? And uh, the science proves that balanced ventilation is a lot more effective uh, offering whole house ventilation and removing internally generated contaminants outside of just those source areas. Uh, source areas, as we alluded to earlier, which would be a kitchen stovetop um, or a bathroom are very high contaminated areas. But that doesn't mean that you don't have contaminants in other areas of the home. Um, for example, CO2 in your bedroom. And uh, when you do have CO2 or elevated CO2 in your bedroom, even though we thought CO2 doesn't hurt us, does have a detrimental effect to um, the physiological operation of the human body. Balanced ventilation is slowly but surely becoming um, uh, more of a code uh, related, I guess, requirement as compared to uh, all of Europe and all of Canada, which mandate balanced ventilation, more importantly, mandate not only balanced ventilation, but mandate balanced ventilation with energy recovery in order to uh, uh, recapture some of the energy that you've already used to temper uh, the air uh, as compared to just bringing in uh, raw outdoor air. Balanced ventilation is, in fact, the premier system for providing that mechanical ventilation. Um, from a principal's point of view, it doesn't impact the pressure at all. So for example, um, exhaust ventilation, you have no idea where the outside air that's replacing the exhaust air is coming from. It, it, it could be coming through your garage. It could be coming through, through the attic. It could be coming through a crawl space. 
it could be coming through just cracks around doors and windows, which is sort of a straight through path, which really wouldn't bother anything. But it may also be coming through the walls, um, through penetrations that allow air leakage into the walls. And then we have insulation. Um, it may be picking up small fibers um, and drawing that into the space as well. So the fact that we don't have any idea where that outside air is coming from with exhaust ventilation is is definitely problematic. Supply ventilation, on the other hand, it's available to choose that location of, you have a known location for drawing in the outside air. So drawing that outside air from a, lo a known location that you can select, which is going to come from a location that's not going to have contamination associated with it. There's there's rules about distance from other vents and exhausts. And as long as you adhere to those, that source of outside air should be known and clean with the supply of ventilation. And with the balanced ventilation approach, you, you essentially have both. You're exhausting air, but you're also supplying air from that known location and distributing it throughout the house. So you don't have the downside of the exhaust ventilation that depressurizes and the supply ventilation advantage of knowing where that air is coming from is important. So Nick, how do you increase ventilation if you already have existing equipment? What, what types of strategies and what kinds of things can you do in those circumstances? These days in this COVID world that we live in, we get a lot of requests on what do I do? A lot of the cognizant authorities uh, today are recommending ventilation. Uh, and these are cognizant authorities within the United States or whether they're in Canada or, or Europe. In the summertime, we said, open your windows, open your doors, try to bring in as much outdoor air um, as you can uh, coming in um, to the space. Um, but as we get into the winter season, it makes it a lot more difficult to bring in um, uncontrolled outdoor air, obviously because of the northern areas where it tends to get very, very cold. So in order not to overwhelm your your heating system uh, in, the, in the winter months is to apply energy recovery ventilation. And energy recovery ventilation in the wintertime focuses on sensible energy or what they call SRE, sensible recovery efficiency. In, in areas where you can't install a an energy recovery uh, system, there is an alternate method which you know we can classify as as a best alternative to uh, to increase ventilation, and that's to add uh, MERV thirteen filtration. So, in terms of the filtration aspect, something on the in the range of MERV thirteen is a good value point. Um, it's going to capture somewhere in the range of 85% of particles in the range of one micron, which is a, a millionth of a, of a meter in diameter, up to three microns. I think that the filtration aspect is important. Uh, there's limitations in terms of how much filtration you can add because it does to, to a central system because it does impact what's called pressure drive. There's a flow resistance through a more restrictive filter and that can drop the airflow and uh, of the system so that it may not work well for the cooling and the heating system. Nick referred to opening windows possibly and and the impact that that would have in the heating climate obviously you, it's too cold to do that. And same occurs in the the hot humid or or the just the hot even the hot dry climates. So opening windows is a possibility in mild weather but it's not really 
a solution um, that can be relied on in the long term through multiple seasons. There's also security issues with that. There's a lot of allergy issues related with opening windows and noise issues. I often um, bring that up as well. So we generally don't want to think about windows as the mechanism for increasing normal mechanical ventilation. It might be good for airing out a large uh, pollutant event in the house, you know, you burn the toast or whatever, or opening to, to yell at the kids or something like that. But generally, the windows are not considered to be a reliable method for whole house mechanical ventilation. So what would you do if you have an existing house and you want to increase your mechanical ventilation? Probably the easiest thing to do is to turn on more exhaust fans. That's usually available to you in bathrooms, in the kitchen, and and in in a laundry area, perhaps. However, there's limitations to that as well. We don't want to depressurize too much, especially if we have natural combustion appliances, a furnace that doesn't have a powered vent, for instance, or or a gas water heater that doesn't have a powered vent. And we also don't want to depressurize, you know, all the time too much because of like I said before, the unknown source of that outside air and where that air could be coming from. And it may be actually bringing in pollutants as opposed to helping us dilute pollutants. So there's an, there's other ways. For instance, if you have an outside air duct to the return of your air handler for what's called a central fan integrated supply system, you could turn your air handler fan on constantly instead of just having that outside air come in, say, with heating and cooling and, and maybe a controller that adds a minimum amount of time to that. You can just go to your thermostat and turn that fan to the on position. And now you would be drawing in outside air through that outdoor air duct and filtering it, conditioning it if the conditioning system happens to be operating, and then moving that throughout the entire duct system to be distributed within the space. If you had an ERV, a balanced ERV or HRV, a balanced ventilation system with heat or energy recovery, there's often multiple speeds on those fans. And if you weren't already at the highest speed, that could be an advantage to increasing outdoor air ventilation. People think that ventilation is just bringing in outdoor air. Um, Bringing in outdoor air to what he alluded to as opening a window or just depressurizing with an exhaust fan brings in what we call or dub uncontrolled ventilation because he's right he's spot on where you're you're trying to let's say control the potential spread of the uh, uh, of the SARS virus within your home so you open a window but what ends up happening at that point is you bring in this uncontrolled ventilation uh, which could have uh, PM 2.5 and PM 2.5 which is a particle PM 2.5 does have some negative impacts as well uh, so these um, ERVs that Armin is alluding to um, can be fitted with MERV 13 filtration as well if you can't increase the amount of outdoor air, putting in a MERV 13 filter, if your air handling unit can handle it, is a strategy, but it has to be packaged with outdoor air. So to what Armin is saying, putting your your, your system on, on continuously 
So you're constantly filtering within the space and in concert simultaneously bringing in the amount of outdoor air is the uh, optimal package as far as I'm concerned in able to uh, in being able to provide that optimal indoor air quality uh, for healthy environments, but more importantly for safe environments. So we've talked a lot about ERVs, but uh, but I think one thing that, that should at least be brought up are, are cost implications of adding an ERV. What are those cost implications, Nick, and, uh, and help break that down for people? So, of course, there's a capital cost uh, installing an ERV, but, but what's really interesting, if, if we're talking about homes... Uh, people look at a, a beautiful granite countertop that can cost you $10,000. And of course, it's it's very pleasing and, and aesthetically it looks great. But when we look at an ERV, we're talking about 20% of that cost to install an ERV. More importantly, when we take a look at the cost-benefit analysis, not necessarily the capital cost, but the payback of recovering the energy and not having to to heat and and, and cool that uh, uh, unconditioned outdoor air does have a payback, and that payback could be anywhere between three to five years in a, in a home in a commercial application. It could be as or as as quick as one year, but at the end of the day, after that initial let's say three year payback or five year payback, and we take a look at the life cycle of a home that can be twenty five years. After that initial payback, the ERV pays itself. It pays you back because you're not spending that money uh, to heat that outdoor air in the wintertime or cool that outdoor air and dehumidify that outdoor air in the summertime. So uh, when we look at the other financial metrics besides payback, like internal rate of return or net present value of future cash flows, we see that an ERV has incredible benefits and if it was a stock um, on the New York Stock Exchange, it would definitely be a buy and would probably rally the stock market because of the high ERRs and the, and the high NPVs that the ERVs can, can offer a home. My experience in the residential environment is that it's probably not as short as the five years that you were mentioning. However, I typically don't really consider the cost of an HRV or ERV, mostly ERVs is what I um, specify in my consulting practice. I don't really consider the cost of the equipment to be the main factor or the savings and because of the um, the recovery with, between the exhaust air and, and the incoming outdoor air. What I really consider it to be important for is the tempering and the comfort value of, of that. So when we have that exhaust air passing by the outdoor air coming in and we get somewhere between halfway on the sensible and the uh, latent recovery or even better like like Nick was saying up to the 80% range now we aren't delivering air that's uncomfortable and so that can be delivered directly to bedrooms for instance or it can be integrated with the central system um, and then mixed with that air and delivered. It also has an advantage um, in terms of taking away the moisture. So when we're in a cooling mode of operation, um, we have cold ducts because we're cooling that air down to dew point, removing moisture, and then supplying that air through, through the duct system. The ducts can be say 50, 55 degrees, um, sometimes even even lower than 50 degrees. And if we're supplying humid air that has a dew point 
in the range of 60 to 70, 75 in the, in the, in the humid south, we would have a problem. But by exchanging that moisture with the outgoing air, we're somewhere in between. And so we now have less of an opportunity for condensation in those cold ducts. And especially if the air handler is running at the same time, we've eliminated that problem. Great point. Thank you. So uh, on the other side, what, what are the cost implications of adding filtration? Uh, are, are they similar? What, what kinds of uh, conversations can we have about the, the cost implications of, uh, around adding filtration? To me, adding filtration is going to be a lot less expensive than adding a balanced ventilation system if you don't already have one. Somewhere in the range of a couple hundred dollars, um, maybe $200 to add a four or five inch pleated media filter um, at the return side of an air handling system. And replacement filters, it depends on what the uh, filtration level is. For instance, a a MERV-8 that just protects the equipment but really doesn't do a lot for filtering out um, smaller particles and, and such in the space might cost in the range of $40 um, to replace that filter. But a MERV-13, on the other hand, might cost twice that in the range of $80 to replace that wide pleated media filter. Um, that's how we refer to those wider filters that have the V-shape or, you know, just constantly going back and forth to increase the surface area of the filter so to decrease the pressure drop across the filter. Something in the range of maybe, you know, 150 to $200 to get the actual filter housing and then maybe twice that to be able to get it installed and then on the order of of about you know $75, $80 for replacement. Um, those should be replaced more often if you have a more serious filtration demand, but could last you know on the order of six months, um, maybe even in some cases up to a year uh, for replacement. Armin is right. I mean, for sure, installing a filter is is much cheaper. It's in the, as he has, as he alluded to, a few hundred dollars as compared to uh, fifteen hundred dollars, maybe for an ERV, and, and depending on the size, it could be two thousand dollars for an ERV. One additional point I'd like to add is adding a filter is is not regulatory. Outdoor air is regulatory, which means that you you have to bring in some sort of ventilation. You have to use some kind of ventilation strategy in your house. It could be exhaust only, or it could be balanced ventilation, uh, or it could be ERV or HRV balanced ventilation. Uh, but um, when you don't use uh, an ERV or an HRV, then you have to consider that that air needs to be cooled and heated. And that is an additional cost. Uh, if you use only an HRV, then you're only recovering sensible energy. If you use an ERV, you're recovering both the sensible and uh, latent efficiency, which means not only are you heating and cooling temperature-wise, but you're also dehumidifying in the summertime and, and slightly humidifying in the wintertime as well. Uh, but when you do add a, a MERV 13 filter or anything higher, um, there's additional fan static, which, uh, which costs money as well. Um, but at the end of the day, you are talking about the hundreds of dollars of range and the hundreds of dollars is offering your family in a home, uh, once again, the, the, the health and safety as compared to not applying these strategies within the, within the built environment. I would like to add another point about the filtration that Nick 
touched on, and that is the effect of filtration on the air handling system, the central air handling system. You don't want to add a MERV 13 filter that's only one inch in thickness. A typical return slots on an air handler or even the slot at a return filter grill assembly might only be one inch um, deep. However, if you add a restrictive filter in that one inch deep matrix, you're going to negatively impact the airflow through the system. You're going to negatively impact the energy consumption of the fan, and you may actually shorten the life of the fan. You're also potentially going to negatively impact the amount of temperature rise that you get uh, with the furnace because the furnace has a gas burner that's putting in X amount of heat, and that is it's, it's necessary to have a certain airflow to make sure that your temperature rise is not too high. And if it gets high, it could shut down your furnace. And then you wouldn't have any heat at all until you resolve that situation. On the other side, with too low of an airflow on the cooling side, you can start to frost the evaporator coil and then it would eventually ice over and block the airflow and now your system's not working. So adding filtration, say in the MERV 11 to 13 range, or even higher if you wanted to go there. Um, there's not that many filters for a central system that are above the MERV 13. You normally jump to that more HEPA filtration. Or you can get a MERV 16, but again, that's one of those situations where you need to probably have a separate fan or a very large filter. Um, what I want to get to, though, is you can actually purchase filters now that will fit in that one-inch slot. However, they have an extended portion of the filter that will get you to that four or five inch pleated media filter uh, performance. And that's what you need to look for if you want to add that extra filtration at the, the MERV 13 level. Well, Nick and Armin, uh, it's been amazing getting to learn a little bit more from your insights and from your perspectives on uh, on these questions. Uh, let me open it up uh, to you, to either of you, to touch on anything we've missed up to this point or just summarize uh, our conversation today. So, Nick, let me turn the floor over to you uh, for anything that we haven't touched on or uh, or a summary statement that you'd like to make just to put a bow on this episode. I, I think that the ventilation is, is, is very critical today, more than ever. We know that ventilation offers the uh, a, a certain amount of dilution of internally generated contaminants that adversely affect the physiological operation of the human body. When we look at the United States uh, standards um, that, that codes follow, and we compare them against some of the European standards and um, the Canadian standards, the uh, United States standards fall a little bit short. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm being nice about that because actually the United States ventilation standards within homes and, and structures altogether are one of the lowest when we compare ourselves to some of the other nations that are out there, like all of Europe, the Middle East, certain areas of Asia, definitely Canada. We have very, very low ventilation rates. When we look at the standards community that both Armin and I are involved in and engaged in actively, um, there's a lot of deliberation between do we increase it, do we enforce balanced ventilation. But when we look at increasing the amount of uh, outdoor air within the space, there's always that energy penalty that uh, raises a lot of concerns because it's expensive enough to just buy a home. 
and it's pretty expensive to operate a home. So there is a lot of deliberation on should we be increasing the amount of outdoor air? And and and, and that's ongoing as we speak. Now, I do want to mention that when we write a standard at ASHRAE, and then when code adopts these standards, um, these are minimum standard levels. Um, ASHRAE does offer guidelines for higher performing buildings, which means that the values uh, that are used in order to calculate the ventilation levels are higher. But when we do look at codes, uh, people have to understand those are minimum levels. Those are minimum levels that builders and contractors have to achieve such that no one goes to jail. But nothing says you can't look at a higher performing building uh, and offer more outdoor air or offer more energy recovery or high or provide higher filtration above MRF 13. You can go to MRF 16 or HEPA filtration um, if you wish and add UV lights. There's a lot more you can do other than maintaining the minimum code. You um, kind of reminded me of something that we hadn't touched on, and that is how ventilation rates are established. And um, one of the newest things that we have as a tool to look at establishing ventilation rates is what, what's called a, a DALY. It's, it's actually a D-A-L-Y acronym, and that stands for Disability Adjusted Life Year. It's a method at which risk associated with disease or um, yeah, health incapacity is, can be measured related to indoor pollutants. And this is something that has um, given us a, a bit more ability to actually put some health-based science behind ventilation rates. Prior to the, um, the use of the DALI procedure in the standards, it was really, you know, ventilation rates were basically um, mostly just based on the judgment of the experts that were, you know, on the committees creating these standards. And um, that was just based on experience for the most part, knowing what has worked in the past and what has caused um, people to complain about odors, for instance, staying around too long. Um, there was really just no health medical-based kind of reference point for us to, you know, we might say, well, if you breathe benzene, you're probably going to get cancer, but how, how long and at what concentration is that really, does that exist in a residential building? I think that that DALI procedure is going to help us a lot in the future in determining a, a better true basis for ventilation rates. And um, I'm glad to know that that's now available. Well, Nick and Armin, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of Indoor Air Quality and you, IAQIQ. We appreciate you joining us today very much and sharing your insights. So, uh, so Armin, Nick, thank you once again. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of IAQIQ, Indoor Air Quality and You. For more insights, make sure to visit Renew Air's website and also stay tuned for more episodes from the podcast. If you're not already subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can subscribe to stay up to date with the latest from the podcast. And of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the show. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.